0: This is WLNZ Lansing. You're listening to LCC Connect, a weekly program that features the voices, vibes, and vision of Lansing Community College. To find out more about LCC Connect programs or to listen on demand, visit us at lccconnect.org.
1: LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. From Lansing Community College, this is LCC Connect, and this is Land Stories, with me, David Seewick. Each episode explores a different topic, such as the people, business, neighborhoods, communities, buildings, and other phenomena that make up the history of our college and our region. We tell stories, and in doing so, we connect the past to the present. Lansing Community College Land Acknowledgement Lansing Community College occupies the ancestral, traditional, and contemporary lands of the Anishinaabeg, three fires confederacy of Ojibwa, Odawa, and Potawatomi peoples. In particular, the city of Lansing and LCC reside on land ceded in the 1819 Treaty of Saginaw. In part two of a three-part episode series, I started out by reading the Lansing Community College Land Acknowledgement Statement, as I did in the beginning of part one. And this three-part episode series of land stories explores the land of the indigenous peoples of Michigan, in particular southern Michigan, where the city of Lansing, and therefore Lansing Community College, uh, now sit, and the lands in the mid-Michigan region in general, that area of Michigan that we call mid-Michigan. Geographically, it is not exactly in the middle of Michigan, strictly speaking, but nonetheless, that is what that area is referred to now And talking about the middle southern part of the Lower Peninsula. And the overarching goal of both Part 1, this, Part 2, and the forthcoming Part 3, of this episode series is to look at the background behind the reason why the Lansing Community College Land Acknowledgement Statement uh, came into existence. A major communication document and a major uh, thematic direction that Lansing Community College and other institutions around Michigan are embarking upon and, and started to somewhat recently in placing the context of land appropriation and where community colleges and universities sit in Michigan within a historical framework. And so I started out today by reading the Lansing Community College Land Acknowledgement Statement, just as I began the first part of this episode doing so. But to reiterate, the point of this episode is not just to examine the history of the Land Acknowledgement Statement, that the statement, meaning the words that are contained in there and why those words were created and why they're read out or printed on, at or on certain college events or documents, has an interesting background behind it, and I will certainly cover that in Part 3 of this episode. But using that Atlantic Acknowledgement statement and its history behind it, is really uh, suggestive of the broader goal to accomplish with this three-part series, and that is to look at the big picture of why was indigenous land appropriated and what was the process behind that, trying to look at the background behind the people who lived on that land prior to appropriation, and then looking at the after effects of that land appropriation. It's a very broad sweeping topic, which is why I have devoted three episode portions to examine this. And for the loyal listeners to this program, you are uh, no doubt identifying a theme by now. And that is many of the stories we tell on Land Stories are complex And they are just a little bit too complex to be covered within the limits of a single 20 or 30 minute episode. And as such, with the glorious, wondrous technology at our hands, we can extend our conversation out. We can extend our exploration of these topics out. And the conversation aspect of this, I don't want to lose sight of as well. Please feel free to contact me to get a hold of me through my contact details that are on the land stories section of the LCCConnect.org homepage. And very much, I look forward to engaging people in conversation related to uh, this very important topic and the other topics, the other stories we tell on land stories as well. So we move on then from where we left off on part one of this three-part series. And where we left off was surely after the united states of america gained its independence from britain and that's a very important moment in the entire history of what would ultimately be the fate of the indigenous peoples not only here in michigan but throughout the parts of north america and uh, the parts of north america that would become the united states of america and the parts of north america that would become part of canada and Even uh, fairly briefly in the grand scheme of European colonial history, a part of Russia. And that very important transitional period, again, it's the, the late 1700s, the United States, to give a very quick and brief background to what the political and economic and geographic situation looked like at the time of American independence, both declared in 1776 and recognized, which is when the Treaty of Paris is ratified in 1783. The geographic situation at that time, with those uh, characteristics in mind, political, economic, geographic understanding, people geographic understanding, meaning where the people were living, it's an interesting picture when we focus on Michigan. And Michigan actually turns out to be one of the key linchpins, if you will, the deciding uh, geographic Moment on the maps that were being drawn with the future of, or as the future of the indigenous peoples of the United States, starts to be considered. And to some extent, Michigan has this important role to play, geographically speaking, in the fate of the Canadian nation, too. The Canadian part of this story is actually vital to the American part of this story, and there are two reasons for that. One, because of the way the boundaries were drawn up and the political circumstances behind the way those boundaries were drawn up. After the British surrendered to the United States and the French, the Battle of Yorktown in October of 1781, but also because of events that would happen over the roughly 30 years that followed uh, Lord Cornwallis' surrender to the American and French forces, That 30-year period of time, including the two years that passed between 1781 and the ratification of the Treaty of Paris in 1783, are very crucial in understanding ultimately how we get to the appropriation of indigenous lands and the reasons behind that and the aftermath behind that, that uh, ultimately is a historical narrative that not only spans the decades, and the centuries, but it's a historical narrative that is still being written because the indigenous peoples, no matter how hard white Europeans and later Euro-Americans tried to remove and exterminate indigenous peoples, not only from the lands of Southern Michigan, but all throughout the United States, that effort failed, and the indigenous cultures survived they survived through a degree of attempt at destruction that unfortunately we see all around the uh, Americas and other parts of the world too from uh, as not only an aftermath but quite frankly the intent of many colonial endeavors and the word colonialism and the concept of colonialism has always had an interesting, really paradoxical role, uh, or or I should say, definition in American political thought, American political action, because the United States, of course, has always viewed itself as a nation that broke free of colonization. The British were our colonial overlords, as uh, American history tells us, and then we Liberated ourselves from that oppressive colonial regime through the American War of Revolution, the Revolutionary War, the War of Independence. And then the aftermath of that was a nation that emerges that sets itself up as a bulwark against European colonialism in the Americas. And in fact, an operating, very important operating doctrine that directed. American foreign policy throughout much of the 19th century, that would be the 1800s, known as the Monroe Doctrine, specifically was a declaration that the United States was going to be exactly that, a bulwark against European colonial influence in the Americas. But yet the paradox comes in with the United States viewing itself as an empire in the making when it comes to the North American continent. And that takes us back to a point I made a few moments ago in the intertwine of those futures of the United States and of Canada, and especially the critical three decades that followed the surrender of Cornwallis at Yorktown in October of 1781, and the ratification of the Treaty of Paris in 1783, all the way through the first major land cession treaties I'm going to get into in a moment that begin in the 1790s. Those land cession treaties made between the United States federal government and as the Constitution labels them, the tribes, those treaties continue to proliferate through the 18-teens, the 1820s, especially spurred on by the events of the War of 1812, and then ultimately we get to the act of removal, the act of ethnic cleansing, the act of genocide against indigenous peoples throughout the entire eastern half of what is now the land of the United States of America. Now, as we're going to see towards the end of this episode, even though that sounds like a very strong, almost... Uh, well, what's the word I'm looking for here? Ridiculous way of describing American behavior towards the indigenous peoples. I can't think of actually more accurate words to use. So let's get to that part of the story here and look at those critical three decades. And this is where the borders come into the story. The United States declares its independence in 1776. The Revolutionary War concludes with the surrender of Lord Cornwallis to George Washington, uh, Gilbert du Montia, Marquis de Lafayette, and Comte de Rochambeau in October 19th of 1781. And that... Surrender, therefore, sets forth the process of negotiating a formal treaty that would be recognized in international law, the recognition, most importantly, of two things, the independence of the United States of America and who would be responsible for paying down the debt that the United States of America had incurred in fighting the war. So essentially, the treaty legitimized America's existence as an independent nation, and it legitimized American debt. Debt actually turns out to be a very important part of the story. And here's why. When the United States had its independence recognized, part and parcel of that recognition, as I just mentioned, was the legitimization of American debt, meaning before the United States was recognized internationally as a nation independent from Britain it still had to borrow money to fight for its independence. And the money was borrowed through a fairly complex international system of finance that existed at the time. But the long and short of it is the U.S. was in debt, in debt to especially Dutch financiers, but others as well. And when the war ended, and as the United States formed a new government... The U.S. Constitution is ratified not that long after the Treaty of Paris uh, is ratified. So the Treaty of Paris comes into existence. Uh, It's ratified in 1783. The U.S. Constitutional Convention happens in 1787, and then that Constitution is ratified in 1789. And at that point, George Washington becomes president, and Alexander Hamilton is selected as his Secretary of the Treasury. Now, the border issue in the treaty negotiations, ultimately was settled with the borders as they are now between the United States and Canada, for the most part, starting with the western end of Lake Superior and extending all the way to the modern day Canadian border as it traverses across the northern part of the United States. So the borders of Wisconsin, it's a very little maritime border. Uh, in Lake Superior, right on through Michigan, Uh, again, naming states that exist now. Many of these political entities weren't around yet at this time. And then all the way over through uh, the states of the eastern seaboard. So that border ultimately drew imaginary lines down the middle of the Great Lakes shorelines, starting from east to west of Ontario, then Erie, then Huron, and then up through the rapids of the St. Mary's and the St. Mary's River, and then into... Lake Superior. Lands further west than there, that border ultimately was settled uh, after the War of 1812. Now, the border then was settled with the British, and the United States immediately embarks on a what ultimately was a completely different approach to looking at the lands of what we now call the Great Lakes and the Ohio Valley than what the British viewed that area of land to beast. The British, after the French and Indian War, so we're going back in time a little bit to the 1750s, the French and Indian War was fought essentially over that uh, control, that area of land, the Great Lakes and Ohio Valley, but it was fought primarily between the British and their indigenous allies and the French and their indigenous allies. The French relied on their indigenous allies to a greater extent because they were vastly outnumbered by British forces. When that war came to an end, the British had to face a massive uprising, a rebellion, a war that was set forth by Pontiac, the indigenous leader from Michigan, as an effort to attack and ultimately lay siege to British forts by the dozen all around the Great Lakes and Ohio Valley area. And that attack by Pontiac, Pontiac's uprising, sometimes called Pontiac's War or Pontiac's Rebellion, continues throughout the summer of 1763. Ultimately, the British are able to remove Pontiac and his allied forces from many forts they had captured during that uprising, including the British fort recently acquired from the French at the Straits of Mackinac that would be the fort that we now call Fort Michilimackinac it's a fascinating historical site to visit and if you have never had a chance to do it by golly i encourage you to go there it is a historically authentic recreation of the french fort that was built throughout the 1700s and then the recreation and the historical display at michilimackinac also includes the additions to the fort, the changes to the fort that the British made. Pontiac's uprising and the siege of Fort Michel has a, a very large role to play in all of this. And the reason for that is the British, after making peace with the indigenous peoples, are only able to keep that peace by passing the Royal Proclamation of 1763, as it was called. And this proclamation was a set-aside, a very large set-aside, ultimately, of land that included all the Ohio Valley and Great Lakes region, as well as down into what would ultimately become the heart of the American South, Mississippi, Alabama, much of the modern-day state of Georgia, uh, Florida, etc., that the British had to guarantee that they would severely limit, severely restrict settlement onto those lands from white British colonists further east. Now, the aftermath of this proclamation, and thereby the aftermath of Pontiac's War, really is 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 twofold in terms of the really big uh, things that impacted the history of indigenous lands. Number one, this is the first time that Europeans, and and we could group them with Euro-Americans, for the purpose of this consideration here, seriously contemplate the idea of some type of a separation between quote-unquote settlers. That would be Europeans who were used to farming land and building things on it. Think back to the end of the last episode when we gave a consideration of European concepts of the land usage and who had the right to be on it, and who didn't, and how that compared to indigenous thoughts upon uh, similar matters. And then also, it set forth the idea that going forward, indigenous peoples had to, to be negotiated with. They couldn't simply be conquered. That is every bit as important as the idea of having a separation of lands that indigenous people shall occupy and lands that Euro-Americans shall occupy. And when the United States comes into existence, these concepts, separation and negotiation, they form the basis of how the United States looked at its quote-unquote Indian policy. I think a more accurate term to describe what was going on back then would be how the United States looked at its negotiations and its relations with its indigenous peoples. So that gets us into this critical three-decade period from the conclusion of the American Revolutionary War up to the War of 1812. And what happens during those 30 years is, is that American settlers set their eyes on the lands of the Great Lakes and Ohio Valley areas. And the United States government, unlike what the British government had done with the Proclamation of 1763, not only makes no effort to, or very little effort, to restrict settlement onto much of that land, but it encourages it. And it does so going back to... Settle the Debt. That's right, the same debt that I mentioned mere moments ago. That would be the debt the United States incurred in fighting the Revolutionary War. Congress passed two laws in the 1780s that were actually passed before the Constitution was ratified under the uh, original uh, governing charter of the United States. That would be the Articles of Confederation. And those laws created a very complex and ultimately long-term process by which the lands of the Great Lakes region would be settled, and the lands would be sold, and the process of settling the land and selling the land would ultimately lead to political organization, thereby the United States expanding its continental empire westward. And the reason why the United States had the opportunity or the reason to put together such policies is because of the boundaries that ended the Revolutionary War through the Treaty of Paris included an area of land that greatly exceeded that by which was most densely populated and constituted what we now oftentimes refer to as the original 13 states, formerly colonies. In 1796, the United States negotiates its first land cession treaty. And this ceded, meaning handed over to the United States federal government, much of what is now the modern state of Ohio. And land cession treaties, it was understood at the time, were required as a part of this long-term process of getting hold of opening for settlement all of this land of the Great Lakes region and the Ohio Valley region. And the reason for that is because the United States Constitution has a clause in it that stipulates the indigenous tribes referred to in the Constitution as the several tribes are to be negotiated with as Congress would negotiate and ultimately ratify or vote down treaties with other nations. Therefore, From a legal perspective, the United States government embarked upon a treaty-making process with the indigenous tribes in order to acquire their land. And that starts in 1796, and it continues on throughout much of the rest of the century that would follow, actually, the 1800s. And that is ultimately where we will arrive at the point of Indian removals, as they were called at the time. And I will reiterate a point I made a few moments ago. It has oftentimes been remarked upon by various scholars and commentators and other people that look at this period of American history that the United States, in forcing indigenous peoples like the Potawatomi off their land, in organizing massive removals of entire ethnicities of people, such as the Potawatomi removal, such as what was done with the Cherokee, the Choctaw, the Chickasaw, the Cree, the Seminole, in what has become known to history as the Trail of Tears, constitutes ethnic cleansing, or it constitutes genocide. The distinguishing factor between one term or the other seems to be the intent of those seeking to somehow remove either by moving the people to another geographic location, that would be ethnic cleansing, or outright extermination of people through mass murder, that would be genocide. And at the same time, there are others who look at the Indian removals in the United States, such as the Potawatomi, as something that shouldn't be looked at as genocide or ethnic cleansing. And the evidence, if you will, given for those who favor that definitely less uh, severe terminology usage tends to be that the government, they argue, that set forth their removals was more interested in moving people off their land than it was killing them. And second of all, if ethnic cleansing or genocide, the argument goes, Are intended to be ways of forever removing all aspects of uh, individuals off of one area of land so that it could be populated by another group or another culture, then what the United States government did fell short of that goal because indigenous peoples survive. In my mind, this is an exercise in uh, arguing over words, and, and in doing so, we lose track of what actually happened, and why it's important to know what happened. And as important as it is to ensure the terminology is adequate to the description of the event being portrayed, nonetheless, the important fact of the matter is looking at, in our case here, for this story, what happened to the Bottawatomie, the other indigenous peoples of Michigan, but in particular, those that lived in the lands that Lansing... Community college now sits on as the focus of this episode. We shall do that and leave that uh, discussion over terminology with the following in mind. Describing how something happened is very important in understanding what happened. However, no matter what words one uses, to either try to suppress the transmission of knowledge going forward or try to obfuscate what actually happened, will never render the acquisition of such knowledge to be an impossible goal to achieve, so long as there are people out there who seek to find that information, who understand its importance and relevancy and share what they have found with others. You've been listening to Land Stories with me, David Seewick. For more information on this program and to stream past episodes, visit lccconnect.org. LCC Connect is the official home of the voices, vibes, and vision of Lansing Community College, offering hours of original and exciting programming. Hosted by faculty, staff, and community members. LCC Connect explores our college's work in the community, important topics in higher education, and our vision for the future. Catch the Vibe on 89.7 FM or online at lccconnect.org. Until next time, remember, keep telling good stories.
0: Featuring the faculty, staff, students, and others that helped to make Lansing's premier college what it is today. LCC Connect, mid-Michigan's connection to Lansing Community College. To find out more about our featured programs or to listen on demand, visit us at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect, voices, vibes,
2: vision.
1: Michigan residents age 25 or older may qualify for Michigan ReConnect program providing free or reduced tuition to students who have not earned a prior college degree. ReConnect students are responsible for books and fees. Visit lcc.edu reconnect for more information. Hi, I'm Demi Lovato. I've always dreamt of using my voice to make a difference. What I didn't expect was that mental illness would get in my way. Living with bipolar disorder, there were so many times that I felt like I was alone. The hardest part was dealing with my bipolar depression. I finally hit rock bottom and decided to get help then slowly things started to change for me it takes speaking up finding the right treatment plan taking care of myself and getting back to what I love after finding the right healthcare professional and opening up to family and friends I realized that bipolar disorder may be a part of my life but it isn't who I am Living well is possible. Even though sometimes it seems like hard work, you're worth it. Visit BeVocalSpeakUp.com to use your voice to make a difference. That's BeVocalSpeakUp.com.
2: Hi, I'm Lisa Alexander, and I host a show called Who's That Star on LCC Connect. This show is all about an inside look at the LCC community, where you get a chance to meet our faculty and staff, plus learn about their passion projects at work and at home. You can catch Who's That Star here on LCC Connect or listen anytime at lccconnect.org.
1: The LCC Library empowers the Lansing community to learn, teach, and discover. Located on the second and third floors of the Technology and Learning Center at the corner of Capitol and Shiawassee on LCC's downtown campus, the LCC Library's ambient spaces are available to the public for work, study, or quiet personal projects. In addition, those with memberships at collaborating libraries are free to check out materials from the LCC Library's collections. For more information, visit lcc.edu library. LCC, connect, voices, vibes, vision,
2: I'm Dr. Tanya Bailey. Welcome to Arts, Artists, and Advocates, a podcast-based broadcast. You can find content on demand at lccconnect.com. Go ahead. Do it today. Arts, Artists, and Advocates is a series of conversations and performances that explore diversity, equity, and inclusion through the arts and activism. We're highlighting the work of people on our campus as well as in our community that's making a difference. All of us, and I do mean all of us, go through emotional roller coasters in life. Coming out of the pandemic and experiencing a variety of different challenges, every one of us need encouragement, especially going through hard times. We need help. We need friends. We need to be reminded that we matter. Well, today on Arts, Artisan Advocates, I am so delighted to welcome to the stage the one and only, a local favorite, Lane Ingram, who's gonna share his love for humanity, community, underrepresented groups, and more. Today's show is fittingly entitled, You Matter. Please help me and welcome Lane Ingram to Arts, Artisan Advocates.
3: The crowd goes wild. (laughs) What up, Dr. B?
2: What's happening? I'm so happy to have you on the show. I've been trying to book you forever.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy to be here.
2: Listen, tell our audience who is Lane Ingram, where you're from, and how has that influenced who you are and what you do?
3: What a question. I know it's loaded. It is loaded. <laughs> uh, who am I? Let's see. I'm Lane. I born and raised in Lansing, Michigan. Um I went to Waverly High School in the 90s, and then mm. I went to the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. Go blue.
2: All right. Um, yes. <laughs> and now
3: I I work at LCC um, happily. And then also, um, I guess th- the things I care about most and why your show is called You Matters because yes. um, I do think everybody matters, and especially uh, members of the LGBTQ plus community. I mean, yes. it just, um, that's really at the the forefront of my mind all the time, making mm-hmm. sure that our youth are okay, and that mm. um, people are supported and know that they're accepted and they matter. And so a lot of me is wrapped up in my family, it's wrapped up in my work, and then um, I host a podcast that I'm really proud of, so. What? Yeah.
2: <laughs> and we're not in competition, just so folks nope, know. But he hasn't invited me on his show yet, so.
4: <clears throat>
3: well, this season <laughs> I am interviewing members of the LGBTQ plus community to really share our stories and experiences. Now, yeah, yeah. when I get to the <laughs> ally section, yes, please. that's when we'll bring you involved. <laughs> you all heard it
2: here. He's going to feature me.
3: <laughs> <Yeah. Yep. laughs>
2: I love it. I, I love learning about you every day. Um, and I am privileged to be able to work with you. Uh, our show, yes, is entitled You Matter. And so I, I want to, in this segment, as we're learning more about Lane, I, I want you to talk about, you know, what does diversity, equity, inclusion? to you? And why is it important to the work that you do or the passions that you have? You know,
3: diversity, equity, inclusion are everything, Mm -hmm. really. I mean, just in diversity is so important because it helps helps us to learn. It helps Mm -hmm. us to learn about people and Mm -hmm. cultures and places. You know, I had a boss used to say there is a world elsewhere Hmm. because we get so wrapped up in what our everyday is and we forget that other people have different experiences and different mm-hmm. lives, different yes. religions, we different that. weather. I mean, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> diversity is so important and, and having an understanding of the fact that there are people that are different than you and it's okay. Yes. And then equity, um, mm. equity is hard for people to understand, you know, because you think about equality. You know, when I was mm-hmm. growing up, equality was like the word.
2: Right. And so when <laughs>
3: equity came around, it's like, well, what does that really mean? And what I want people to understand is that let it is that everybody getting something doesn't mean you have something taken away. Hmm. You you aren't. Mm-hmm. You know, letting people have things doesn't mean you don't also, right? We want everybody to be taken care of. And so equity That's is so just good. kind of a foundation of can we not be selfish people?
2: That's so good. Is how I look at it. Stop looking at my notes. I got some <laughs> mythbuster questions coming up, but you're you're hitting on them already. You know?
3: I then, love that. And then inclusion, inclusion yeah. you know, it's like uh I feel this one deeply because being a minority, right, if so I'm black, mm-hmm. being part of the LGBTQ plus community, mm-hmm. you know, you don't want to they're not strikes against me, in my opinion. Like, no. I feel like these are some of the coolest things about me. I do, too. But you have strikes <laughs> against you, you know, and yeah. everybody needs to be included in and you don't have people. Everybody's not as. Confident or outspoken as I am, and for mm-hmm. those kind of people, they need to know that they have spaces that they are yes. that they are welcoming and that they're belonging. And so, all three are important and they work together. Mm-hmm. But I think the problem is the understanding of what they are, why they matter so yes.
2: much. Yes, you know, often people confuse uh, DEI as being triplets. <laughs> <laughs>
4: It's not the same. <laughs>
2: it's 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 different. It's like ketchup, mustard, and relish. They're all different. Right. They all go great on a burger, by yeah. the way. But they're all different. Um, and you just said something that I really hope our listeners are leaning in because if you are paying attention to the words that Lane is sharing today, I hope you're getting encouraged in knowing that you're ma- that you matter. Mm-hmm. Especially if you have various intersectionalities and various um, uh, identities that that you identify, it's important to know that there's a space and a place for you, especially. Here at LCC, shameless plug. Um, But there's a space and a place for you in this world. Uh, And there are people that um, love you. And so do not, do not forget that. Um, Elaine, I want to read a quote to you. Dun dun dun. After you hear it, tell me uh, what this quote means to you. All right, here it goes. Be who you are and say what you feel. Because those who mind don't matter and those who matter don't mind. Come on, <laughs> Dr. Seuss, that is,
3: um, you know, in one, in a couple of different ways. Number one, that's one of my favorite sayings in Are the entire world and <laughs> sort of kind of how I live my life. Um, at the end of my podcast, the thing I say at the end of my podcast is, you know, you know, I do the whole, you know, follow me and share the, share that. Uh-huh. But I say, keep being you because hmm. nobody can do it like you can. That's oh how I end goodness. all of my and podcasts. And I've never heard your podcast. Re- that's how I end them because <laughs> that is, I mean, because that is what it is. Like you, yes. When I came out in 2017, the title of the article was "I can only be me" because that's what I should say. Yes. I can only yes. be me, and I and I say that to kids. I say that to people who are coming out. I say that to people who are going through anything. Like yes. you can only be you, hmm. and nobody can do you the way that you can. Yeah. You know? And so when I hear that, I agree wholeheartedly because you hmm. know, people who accept you, who love you, are gonna be there. People who don't. They're going to show you who they are, and you have to take the steps to create the boundary around you to protect your heart, to protect yes. your peace, to protect your mind and your mm. well-being. So I love that, um, and I think mm. it's something that we could, we could all live by because the people that matter don't mind. <laughs> and the people that mind, let me tell you, let me say it again, yes. they do not
4: Matter. matter. But you do. Yeah.
3: <laughs> I
2: love it. I love it. Well, you you know better than anybody that on Arts, Art and Advocates, we love playing games. <laughs> I do know that. Especially the game called If. It's time for another edition of the game If. This is where we share a fun way with our guests, uh, providing a if statement that they get to fill in the blank with. So, Lane, you are on deck with If. Oh, boy. If diversity was a car, what would it be and why? And by the way, I'm riding in it. I don't care what you say.
3: Right. (laughs) I think I'm going to go with a minivan. Ooh. Because... I'm not a minivan person Uh and, you know, wasn't, I'm not married to a minivan mom, but (laughs) I have rented minivans and I did see the movie with Holly Berry with the minivan (laughs) and the minivan can do a lot. The minivan can. The minivan doesn't run out of (laughs) gas. It's got like all of, I mean, it's got the sunroof, the doors, you know, sliding. I I mean, it can do a lot of stuff. When I think about diversity, right, diversity can do a lot for us and there's a Mm. lot of ins and outs and there's a lot of moving parts. Um, that need to, to work together. People need to understand them. On the, and, it's, it. and it's moving down the road. So I'd say diversity is a minivan.
2: Diversity Just is, is a minivan. Yes. Yeah. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> Excellent. There you go. Excellent response. Okay. Because we know that diversity is about difference. It's about celebrating that difference. It's about everybody showing up in their authentic self and it's being okay. All right. Here's the next uh, question on the game called If. If inclusion... Think real hard about this one. If inclusion was a dessert, what would it be, and why?
3: (laughs) I'm not even. I'm not a dessert guy either. That's crazy. I know. I'm really not. I I, yeah. I'm not like a cake guy. Okay. But if (laughs) if inclusion was a dessert, Mm -hmm. everything needs to be included. So I'm gonna Mm -hmm. go with ooh. It's a fruit pizza.
2: A fruit pizza. Think about
3: all the slices of pie. Oh yes. And then all you can have so many different fruits. You could do the regular fruits, right? Yes. What is regular? Gotta be okay. right. <laughs> and then you can do the fruits that are from different places. You can do the exotic oh, fruits. My goodness. And then everybody gets a slice of the pie. Mm. Oh yeah. Mm. Fruit pizza.
2: And everybody you know what? That's the best nailed response. It. Yeah, yeah, you nailed
3: Ooh. it. Nailed
1: it.
2: <laughs> Cash App Lane right now. Nope. Nailed <laughs> Excellent. It. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. Last question in the game called If. If equity was an article of clothing, what would it be? How would you wear it? Oh, man.
3: <laughs> if equity was a piece of clothing, jeez, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> man, I wonder, I guess I'd call it a vest. I used to wear vests. vest, um, yeah. and vests are cool. Okay. I mean, I mean that in, you know, a vest can give you uh coverage Mm -hmm. but it can also be light Mm. um but you know it so I'm gonna say a vest just because like it's not a full thing Mm -hmm. but it's also it does enough um and everybody can wear one no matter I like
2: that I like that and it'll come in whatever size you need it to be I like that you can
3: slide it on slide it yeah
2: and the best covers the heart too right exactly All right. Give it up for Lang. He has won the game. Called if I am so excited. You answered some really, really tough questions and you did it quite well, might I ask. (laughs) Might I add to that? All right. So in our next segment, Lang, I want us to really focus on our topic today about Um, you matter. It's something that I say in in my emails. It's something I say every day to people and individuals. But I want people, particularly from the LGBTQ community, to know that they matter today. Uh, And so um, talk about how uh, diversity, equity, inclusion aligns with the LGBT community and why that's important, why it matters.
3: Uh, First, I want to say you do put that in your emails. And that is (laughs) that is one of the things I really do like about you, because I think being in this community or having to come out or whatever, you know mm-hmm. I mean? I think stuff like that sticks out to you, to yep. people, you know? And yep. so like that, early on when I first met you like that that was a good that was a good feeling you know awesome. and like that matters to people too so mm. and I so I'd say to everybody if you if you can say to someone that they matter yes like you don't know how it's going to affect them yes or if it's in your email box you know mm. you never know who's mm-hmm. going to see that that's and, right and it might brighten their day and they might say oh I do matter I should stay matter. around a little bit <laughs> um yes but I think diversity equity inclusion as it relates to the LGBTQ community right mm-hmm. like we there's a lot going on in the world right now. There's a lot, there's a lot going on across this country. There's a lot um, happening to, to trans people and trans Mm -hmm. youth. And one of the things that I'd say to our community is we have to remember that we are a community. Mm. We are all a community. Mm. And when they come for one of us, they come for all of us and we can't forget that. And, and I think that stretches across being black. I think that stretches across, you know, any other minority group like when yes. they come for one of us mm-hmm. we're all on the docket and mm-hmm. so the diversity among our group among our community is incredible right like yeah. i mean we're from every race every background right. we've been been here in history for hundreds of years mm-hmm. um when i think about equity and inclusion i mean we just aren't doing enough mm-hmm. across the country and in society and i think Great. different pockets of the of society are doing okay you know mm-hmm. educational institutions you have to have some semblance of community and belonging and mm-hmm. welcoming because your students and your lifeblood are from everywhere else, right? But in the business sector, mm. um in politics, yeah. in the places that are, you know, make determinations about our livelihood, yeah. we need to do a lot better. And so DEI is super important. Mm. But we we as a community, our yes. we are DEI. Yeah. my you know what I mean like we yes. like I don't know how else we <laughs> We. Yeah, we are. So <laughs> Boom it, it means everything. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, Which means I am because we are. First of all, thank, thank you for saying that. And and it's not just like a mm-hmm. tagline for me with, with the whole phrase, you matter. I have been in so many situations where I haven't mattered. Um, and for me, the seed forward is to tell somebody else that they do. Yes. And, um, and so th- thank you for that. And you are 1,000% correct. It is about the we, never about the me. When they do come for one, they've come for all of us. Yes. Uh, and I think if we begin to adopt that mindset that it's going to take all of us standing up for one another, speaking out, recognizing, right, that it's it's more than just this pocket of, of individuals or this group. It's about all of us. Yes, It's about humanity. So I appreciate uh, that as well. Um, I want to a little bit deeper dive. Dive, (laughs) dive, dive. Uh, This part of the show is really about getting comfortable with uncomfortable conversations. And one of those things is about race and identity. And so I want to ask, what was your earliest recollection recollection of your racial identity?
3: Hmm. You know, it's funny. When you talk to a trans person about uncomfortable conversations, we've had a lot. So (laughs) there's no real... (laughs) There's no real, uh, nothing uncomfortable over here. Um, you know, this is a funny question. I'm gonna give you two answers for it. Great. Because obviously as a black person, Mm -hmm. for me, I'm going to say, maybe not obviously, but it happened pretty young. Mm. And I remember I was in this store, I was in dots and Mm, right. You remember dots? Oh my gosh. And it's even funnier now that I was in dots and I'm like a (laughs) 41 year old black man, but okay. I was maybe, you know, 10, 11 years old. I was in dots and, uh, this sales lady was following me around. Mm. And I just kept thinking to myself, I knew what she was doing. Mm-hmm. And so I was just kind of being silly with it. Like, because number one, <laughs> I'm not going to take anything. Number two, like, get out of here. Right. But I'll never forget just being like, is this lady like mm. really following me? What <laughs> <laughs> is this happening? In docs. <laughs> um, and so that was really the first time that I was like, a li- like a little black girl this is Mm-hmm. A, a problem for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now that question is even funnier, not funnier, but it's even, it, it resonates a bit more because yeah. walking through the world as a black man
2: mm-hmm.
3: um, is much different yeah. than being a black woman. And so, and and I can tell you that as a fact, yes. it is. Yes.
2: Um,
3: just the way that um, people interact with you when they first meet you, the mm-hmm. way that there's a little bit of apprehension just because mm-hmm. of how you look. And that was... Shocking too, and wow. so I'd say you know mm. my, the first time I was maybe ten, eleven, twelve, mm-hmm. and then the second time I was maybe thirty-seven, thirty-eight.
2: Wow! You know
3: because by the you know when I started presenting, that's how mm-hmm. old I was, and and I and I can recall like the change in atmosphere.
1: Yeah.
3: um mm-hmm. When I'd be around people who were of a different race than me, walking around as a black man, and I'm very aware yes. when I'm driving around. I'm very aware when I'm. Hmm. Just around in general, I'm very aware of how I look. Yeah. It just is what it is, unfortunately, and so, hmm. and I, and that wasn't the case before.
2: Yeah, oh, I love it. See, this this is this is why I love arts artists and advocates. We talk about real stuff oh, yeah. here. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, I, I want to dive deeper uh, and go into stereotypes because you know that's the thing. Um, describe a stereotype, and you can choose two. I'll be kind uh, if you like that about your culture, about your identity, that you would want to demystify.
3: Hmm. This is gonna be great. I can do two, right? Because okay. right. I've, got, I've got a couple of things. I mean, so let's take, let's take trans people mm-hmm. to start. I'm just, gonna do, I'm just gonna hit you with the big one right away. Go for um, it. Trans people don't transition for any type of advantage. Mm-hmm. Let me just throw that out there. Let me snaps, say that out snaps, loud. Snaps. Trans people do not mm-hmm. transition to win a medal. Mm. They do not transition to win awards. (laughs) We do not transition for notoriety. Nobody does that. Mm -hmm. Um, People transition because it's who they are. They transition because it's supported by over 20 medical organizations. Um, And they transition because that's who they're supposed to be. And um, and so it's really hurtful to see um, people talk about, you know, trans athletes who have transitioned just to get an advantage and like those mm. people are the bravest people you'll ever meet like can you imagine being the first person right. to compete as a female mm-hmm. so to me you know that trans swimmer is a hero yeah I and mean, she's she's so brave and she won't be the last yes and you don't take that amount of scrutiny you don't stand in front of all of these people <laughs> and be ridiculed and have your business put out there come because on. you want to win a medal. Come on. And, and that's a fact. So, and that's a
2: fact. Come on, you have debunked <laughs> and yeah. demystified that stereotype. Yep. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> you, got, you got another one. Yep. Come on.
3: And, I mean, I guess I'd say just from being a black person, you know, there's a lot of stereotypes. And I, I don't know. Let me ask you this. Do you yeah. agree? I think stereotypes come from somewhere. I no, do. They do. They do. Yeah. They 100 percent do. They do. Because a person somewhere did this thing or yep. something like it. And mm-hmm. I I'm OK with that. Yeah. Stereotypes come from somewhere. Right. Um, but as a black person um, and especially right now, mm-hmm. you know, we maybe it's not a stereotype. Maybe it's just the way that society is looking and want to go backwards. But like we are not less than anyone else. We are louder
2: in the mic, right? We
3: are not (laughs) less educated. We Mm -hmm. are not from broken homes. Mm -hmm. Um, If we don't have two parents in our household, we can still go forth and be successful. Like these are things that, you know, you can try to beat this drum if you want to, Mm -hmm. but this is a new age of people who aren't going to stand for it. And i saying that our people before did, but they didn't have as much power as we do now. They didn't have as much influence. They didn't have as much money. They didn't have as much property. Come on. And so. I'm at the place in my life, you know, where I don't know if it was turning 41 or what, but like (laughs) you can't come at me with any nonsense because I'll bring both my education and my experience to the table. Come on. And then what?
2: Yeah. You
3: know, Um, I, I like when I don't like it, you know, I'm going to say this, but like when I walk into a place and I know that somebody's judged me on just in their mind, I'm just a black guy. Right. Right. But then they're like, oh. You went to the University of Michigan. Oh, oh. you're a professional athlete. Oh. oh, you have your master's degree. Oh, you work in the president's <laughs> office. Oh. oh, you've been featured in several national news outlets. Oh, 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 oh. You, oh. Right? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yes. And, my, and nobody wants to have to do that. No. But we can. Yeah,
2: and, yeah, and back it up.
3: If we need to remind you. <laughs> and so I'd say, yeah, but that that that's a stereotype that I think should be dismiss- demystified. We are, you know, just as... Great, yes, if not better than anyone else, <laughs>
2: capable, able, talented, we go. yes, oh my God.
3: interesting,
2: Excellent. interesting,
3: creative, creative. brave, oh, smart,
2: courageous, yes, and then some, exactly. Dot, dot, dot. I can't go any further with that question. You have nailed it once again, uh, and educated in the process. Um, but I do want to ask uh, this question of you, um, so. I say often, leave a mark and not a stain. Hmm. I want to ask you that question. How do you want to leave a mark and not a stain, particularly as it relates to DEI?
3: Yeah. Um the thing that really makes my heart beat really fast mm-hmm. and makes me go is uh thinking about helping, you know, trans youth mm-hmm. overall. And so I had a chance to talk to a 17-year-old kid last week, Yeah. and he's he's a trans kid, and he, you know, said he didn't really have any, you know, mentors, people he looked, looked wow. up to, and I said, you do now, Yeah, you can reach out to me anytime, and he has, and he said to me, you know, being able to reach out to you, being able to talk to you, and somebody that's gone through it, or who can, who understands what I'm going through just means so much, mm-hmm. and for me, he made the podcast that I started two years ago, mm. worth it in that one moment. Wow. And so when mm. I think about leaving mm. a mark, it's really important for me to let everybody behind me know that you're going to be okay, that they matter, yeah, that they we matter. need you here, mm. that um, the things that you're hearing out in the world, the things that people are saying about you and about us they are not yes. true. It matters what you think. And there's a community of people here that that care about you and love you and yes. gonna fight for you. And so when I think about leaving a mark, it's that, I want to have been a person who showed that black people, that trans people mm-hmm. are great, yeah. intelligent, kind, yeah. giving, um, but worthy members of our society who deserve to be treated equally and fairly. I love it. And so that's the mark that I would wanna leave here.
2: What well, can I tell you something you might not know? Glenn? You're already doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Trying, thank you. You are leaving a mark, definitely not a stain. Uh, And that uh, 17-year-old person um, is blessed to have you as a mentor and a role model. Listen, we have been talking to the one and only Lane Ingram right here on Arts, Artists, and Advocates. Uh, Our topic today has been really about you, reminding you, the listener, that you matter. I have been your host, Dr. Tanya Bailey, you know it, (laughs) and I thank you for listening and tuning in to Arts, Artists, and Advocates, a podcast broadcast that we want you to look up every single day. Go ahead, on demand at lccconnect.com, do it today. Arts, Artists, and Advocates is a series of conversations, performances that explore diversity, equity, and inclusion through the lens of arts and activism. We are highlighting the work of good people like Lane Ingram on our campus and in our community that's making a difference. I've been your host, and of course, I'm reminding you that you matter. We'll see you next time.
0: Keep connected with LCC Connect at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices.
1: Vibes. Vision.
4: K-12 Operations at Lansing Community College is a proud collaborator of the Mason Promise Scholarship. The Mason Promise Scholarship is a community organization of volunteers that guarantees funding for two years of Lansing Community College education to selected Mason public school students. For more information on the Mason Promise Scholarship at LCC, please visit lcc.edu hope.
1: I didn't want to talk. She just sat with me. That was all I really needed
3: We got back and of course we went to different cities One day he called me out of the blue And it's comforting to know that I always can count on him to have my back
0: well, We hadn't talked for a while and then she texted me and we went for a walk She called me from time to time
3: I really didn't think I needed any help
1: I was away from my family during the holidays And a friend invited me to their house for dinner it really meant a lot
0: He knew I was having a rough week So he asked me to go fishing with him
1: My friend knew that I didn't want to go out, so she brought me dinner instead. It took me from being really depressed to feeling like somebody cared. It gave me some hope. Just that one text. Be there. Your call. Your presence.
2: Your words. Your support. Be there and help save a life. Learn more about preventing suicide at veteranscrisisline.net.
4: The Modern Warehousing Program through the Job Training Center at Lansing Community College is an industry-led program that prepares individuals for frontline material handling and supply chain logistics positions in medical centers, fulfillment centers, warehouses, and factories. Those who complete this program earn multiple employer-recognized certifications in six short weeks and get a chance to meet with local employers about their future. Visit lcc.edu slash jtctraining.
0: This has been a presentation of LCC Connect, a weekly program that features the voices, vibes, and vision of Lansing Community College. All shows featured on LCC Connect are recorded at the WLNZ Studio, located on LCC's downtown campus. Each program is podcast-based and can be heard anytime at lccconnect.org. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on one of our shows, connect with us by emailing lcc-connect at lcc.edu.